This morning, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the New Testament book. It's the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. New Testament, Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We'll start in verse 9 this morning. In the beginning of the year, I guess at the end of one year and the beginning of another, it's always a, a, a time to look back and to look forward. And a couple of weeks ago, as I was just taking some time in the morning, as I usually do, and just looking at the scriptures and reflecting on life and, and talking to God, I was thinking how my life is so blessed. It's, it's blessed to overflowing. It's, it's for me, a, a, a true picture of a cup that's being poured into that's just overflowing. I have a relationship with God that's growing. I have relative good health. I'm married to a wonderful woman. I have two adult kids that are fun to be around, and, and um, they still want to be around me at times. Um, I have really good friends. I have just some, some great friends in my life. And my life work is challenging, and it's exciting, and it's fulfilling. But when I was thinking about my life in the last days of 2016, I, I, um, I flashed in my life, and I haven't thought about this, this person in a long time. I don't even remember his name. But probably about 25 years ago, I met a toddler, about three years old. Like I said, I, I don't remember his name. But one of the things that caught my attention about him as I watched him and observed him play was that everything he had, virtually everything he had, he shared with somebody else. His parents had a pile of blocks in front of him, and as I was watching him, other kids were joining in, and he would pick up a block and, and hand it to, to another child. When, um, when it was time for a snack and his mom handed him a cracker or a cookie, um, he broke it in half and gave it to another. When it was time for a juice box, he would grab it and give it to somebody else. His, his mom and dad had to tell him, no, you take a drink out of that. We were at the park, um, and he found a leaf on the ground, and he got it, and he gave it away. And it was, it was uh, as I observed this, I, I asked his parents, I said, what? what? What's happening here? You know, I mean, this is, I have two toddlers. They don't do that. I mean, uh, uh, what, what's, what's happening here? Um, and, and the dad told me, he said, we're, we're just, we're trying to, teach him from the very beginning how to share, how to be generous. How did you learn to be generous in your life? Who taught you? Where did you learn that life lesson? Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When, disciples, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is God's word for us today. We're starting out this new year with a new series entitled Generous. And in this series, what we're going to do is explore different texts from the Gospel of Luke. And all of these texts are about one theme. And the one theme is often not seen as a major theme of the Scriptures But the theme is generosity. Now I know what you're thinking already, all of you, every single one of you. (laughs) As soon as I say generous and generosity, many of you you are thinking, I know what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about money. Eventually, all preachers talk about money. But according to the scriptures, generosity is is not less than being generous with your money. And we will discover over the next four weeks that it is quite a bit more than just that. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 32, it says, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. And here, there is no mention of money in this Old Testament passage. When we talk about generosity in the Bible, it's more pervasive. It's, it's more complete than just the talk of money. And when we live this way, being generous is so completely deep in us. It's completely pervasive. It's, it's radical within us that we live in the fullness of generosity in all areas of our lives. And money is just a part of it. And it's possible to be financially generous and not generous radically or generous completely. In our text today, what we're going to do is answer three questions. The, the first question is, what is the source of complete generosity? And then we'll talk about, what's the sign? How do we know someone is completely generous? And then the third question we'll answer is, what is the key to becoming completely generous? And so let's take a look at this from your notes from the text today, what does it mean to be completely generous? Number one is this. The source of complete generosity is the heart. The source of complete generosity is the heart. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, Jesus is telling this story, this parable, with the main characters being two people, the Pharisee and the tax collector. These are the main characters of the story. The tax collector, let's, let's think about him for a little bit. Today, 
When we think of tax collector, we think of, perhaps today we think of an IRS agent, an IRS employee. And it, it may not be something that teenagers aspire to be one day, an IRS agent. But in Jesus' day, it was a terrible occupation. Rome ruled with an iron fist. And the Roman government took all the spoils of war and of wealth. The tax rate was enormous, and they were exacted by threat and by violence. So who would be responsible for collecting these taxes anyways? The Romans hired Jewish men to be tax collectors, and they were hated people. The Romans told the tax collectors, this is the tax rate, this is how much you must collect from each person, and then the Roman government said, but... You can collect more, and whatever you get over that tax rate is yours. And so tax collectors were known to be greedy, they were known to be wealthy, and they were definitely hated people. Now, the Pharisee, let's think about the Pharisee a little bit. When we think of Pharisees today, it's, for us in the church, it's a negative term. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't exactly the same. The Pharisees were a reform movement. At that time, the Sadducees and the priests and the other religious leaders, they had a, a poor reputation. They were seen largely as corrupt. They were, these Sadducees and priests and other religious leaders, they were not very religious. They were in it for the money. And the Pharisees came along, and they were extremely devout people. And they studied the Word of God, they believed it, and they obeyed it, including what we read in verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. In America today, Americans give to charities more than anyone else in the world. The average American gives 3% of their income away. On average, Americans who make $60,000 a year or less, they give the most money away. And on average, Americans who make over $60,000, they give less than 3%. And this means that back then and today, if you give 10% of your income or more, you're very philanthropic. You're, you're very charitable. So let's get back to the text here. Here's a Pharisee who, who would be seen as unselfish, charitable, even in, in, in some people's eyes, a pillar of the community, he was very generous, cared about people, and was admirable. And as the parable goes, here we have a very greedy person, the tax collector, and we have a very generous person, the Pharisee. But Jesus th sees through all of their words, and he sees through all their deeds and all their actions, and he sees deeper because Jesus is looking at the heart. In fact, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, uh, Samuel goes to the house of a man named Jesse to anoint the next king. Um, and, and one of those, in that next king is going to be the son of Jesse. And so all the sons come rolling into this house, and Samuel's there, and one of the sons, Eliab, well, he's impressive. He's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, he's got a charismatic personality. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, it says, And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab 
and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Now, see what happens with this admirable, charitable Pharisee. Look at verse 11 in Luke chapter 18. It says in verse 11, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. Now, this is a good reminder here for all of us that when we thank God, we should be thankful for what we receive from God. Instead, this Pharisee rattles a list of things off that he's doing for God. Verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, the Pharisee here is basically adoring himself, right? He's praising himself. And he looks down on everyone else. He's confident of his own righteousness. Now, this is an example of a person with an open wallet, but a closed heart. This is someone who is, we'll say, technically generous, but radically ungenerous. This is someone who is generous with his money, but tight in his heart. He's selfish, he's proud, he's arrogant, he's grasping, he's controlling, and he's attention-seeking. In verse 13, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, the tax collector here is asking for the generosity of God. From Luke chapter 19, that's just the next chapter over from Luke 18, of course, we read about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. And when he experienced, when Zacchaeus experienced the generosity of God, he too became generous. And in this parable, what we see are two people. The Pharisee, who's technically generous, but actually ungenerous, and the tax collector, who is technically greedy, but something is happening inside of him, and generosity is just seconds away. Complete generosity is never about the wallet, but it's always about the heart. The source of complete generosity is the heart. Okay, so if you don't know a person who is generous just by the dollars that they give, how do you know, then how do you know that someone is generous? Number two, what does it mean to be completely generous? Number two, complete generosity permeates every area of your life. Complete generosity, it permeates every area of our lives. Now, this brings us to the last few verses in our text today, in chapter 18, verse 15. Take a look at this. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, and when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There's so much we can draw from just this few verses in this passage, but my question here in the, in the overall context of our text today is, why did this account follow that parable? Why do you think this 
scene with Jesus and babies and children followed the account of that parable. You see, the Pharisee tithes, he gives a tenth, he gives his money away, but is ungenerous in his heart. And, and the disciples are here now, the disciples enter into our text, and, and I'm saying they probably tithe, okay? They, 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 they probably are very charitable. But what I read here is they are ungenerous in their spirit. Let's look at their attitude towards Jesus and, and towards these children. The disciples were following a leader, it's Jesus, and they wanted to leverage their leader for their own gain. They want Jesus to do things that have a payoff for them. They want a good ROI, a return on their investment here. Therefore, spending time with children for Jesus who are inconsequential, spending time with children who can't do anything for you, spending time with children who have no influence and no power, for a high-profile leader like Jesus to spend time with children, well, that's extravagant. It's generous. And here are the disciples who most likely tithe and are charitable, but they are not generous towards children. And the point here is this. You can't measure generosity only in the currency of money. There is more than one currency. So what is currency? Currency is a medium of exchange. It's, it's a way to exchange value. Now, the, t- the telltale sign of someone, of someone with complete generosity is this. You won't only be generous with your money, you'll be generous with the other currencies in life. So what are the other currencies? Tell us about the other currencies, please. Um, what, what are other currencies? I mean, I, I think right away the currency of time. You can think about that. The currency of time. You, you, you may be very happy to give your money, happy to give my money, but not your time. You have your time. This is your time. You have your, your goals. You control your time. You don't, you don't like interruptions to your time. If I'm going to give you my time, if you, you better do something good with that time. Time is a currency. How about this? How about privacy? The value of personal and emotional space. We'll call it that, privacy. Some people would be happy to give their money. They'll, they'll write the check. They'll, they'll pay the bill. But no, don't ask them to get personally involved with anyone. Because my privacy is more valuable than my money. Privacy is a currency. Tell us about more currencies. Pastor, please, tell us about more. Um, How about hospitality? Hospitality as a currency. It's about your physical space and and your possessions. Because I don't want people messing up my house. So I'm not going to invite you over for anything or let you stay over. I don't want people borrowing my things because you're probably going to break them or lose them or you won't return them. Hospitality, the physical space that you own, which is kind of funny that we'll talk about that in a second, and your possessions that you possess, the things that you have. That's a currency. What about 
What about personal and relational economy as a currency? I know there are people in your life that you have done a lot for. Think about that. There are people in your life that you've done a lot for. You've helped them, maybe you've discipled them, you've mentored them, you've supported them, you've prayed for them, you gave them money. And then there are kind of the flip side of that, same sort of currency though. There are people who have harmed you. They've hurt you. They've gossiped about you. They've lied to you. And these are people who owe you something. And these are people that you can hold things over. These are people who you can be very demanding with. A person who is radically generous does not hold accounts over other people. You don't hold grudges. You are not demanding. You give the benefit of the doubt. You're not hard on people. You don't have high expectations with people. How are you doing out there? Because this is hurtful for me. I mean, this is hard for me as I, as I talk about these things. I have a piece of every single one of these that I'm holding back, that it's hard for me to be generous with. Here's one. How about sex outside of marriage as a currency? I want to have sex with you, but I don't want to give up my independence or my freedom. I want to have sex with you, but I don't want to marry you. That's a currency too. How about, I'll, I'll just end with this one. It's, it's too much here. Um, how about controlling the social environment as a currency? Um, meaning getting all the attention. These are people who want to control the social environment. They talk too much and they don't listen enough. They dominate the conversation. They, they don't like deferring to what others want to do or what they like to do. They only want to eat at the places as a group where they want to eat. They only want to see movies that they want to see. They only want to listen to music that they want to listen to. You ever get in the car with a, with a bunch of people and they say, oh, change the channel, change the station, put that CD in, play this on my Spotify playlist. And I'm thinking, I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm, I like my music right here. In fact, I want to selfishly be the center of attention, and I'm not generous socially. These are the currencies that we have. Do you see what it means to live in complete generosity? It's way more than money. It's, it's giving rather than taking. It's, it's living to be generous out of the fullness of your heart. And in fact, we have, our lives are ever-flowing, overflowing cups. And when you see your life is filled to overflowing with the blessings of the gospel of God, then you can be completely generous in every area of your life. So the source of complete generosity is the heart. And, the, and complete generosity needs to permeate every area of your life. And the reason that we're not completely generous is we're empty. We see ourselves as empty. We are either like the Pharisee who's trying to fill the emptiness with all of his spiritual accomplishments, or we're like the tax collector who's trying to fill his emptiness by destroying people and filling up on money and power. And so we are not completely generous people because we see ourselves as empty. So what's the key to complete generosity? 
It's number three. The key to complete generosity is receiving the generosity of Jesus. Receiving the generosity of Jesus. Verse 13, chapter 18. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. These are, these are startling words from Jesus. And, and, and over and over again, you read this in Luke's gospel. You, you read this in chapter 18. Here is this Pharisee, and then we have this tax collector. And then in chapter 7, there is a Pharisee and then a, 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 a sinful woman. And then in chapter 15 in Luke's gospel, Here's a faithful older brother who stays home. He's a faithful older brother. And a prodigal younger brother goes off and is lost. And in every case of each of these three stories, these accounts, there's a bad person and there's a good person. And the bad person in each of these accounts is saved and the good person is lost. So what's going on here? I, I, I got to know. In every case, one person is morally good. It's a more, he's a morally good person, and he looks down on others. And the other one is living immorally, and he's humbly crying out to God to help him. Let me, let me ask you a question. If you're sick, if, if you're sick and you have a very serious illness, if you're sick and you have a very serious illness, but it's treatable, but you refuse to admit that you're sick, and then you later die of that sickness, what killed you? Did the sickness kill you? Or was it your denial to admit that you were sick? Verse 14. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, how is it that the tax collector can be saved? How, how is it? He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, this word mercy, most of the time in the Bible, the word mercy means compassion. But in chapter 18, verse 13, in this English translation of a Greek word, from the scriptures, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, is the word halastrion, which means to appease or propitiate someone's wrath, their anger. The tax collector is not saying, oh Lord, have compassion on me and let me off the hook. Oh Lord, give me a break. He's saying this. He's saying, I need atonement for my sins. In the Old Testament, this word is very graphic. It's, it's very deep. You see, in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was like a big box shaped like a giant footstool. It was the place where the royal glory of God dwelt. The Ten Commandments were in there. And, and, and no one can go into the Holy of Holies. And anyone who tried to go there could not bear the scrutiny of the examination of God because he's holy. And no one can go in. But once a year, the high priest was allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies 
on a holy day called Yom Kippur. And he was in there to speak to God and make intercession on behalf of the people and to get the blessing of God for the people for that year. And he was allowed to go into the ark over, because over the ark of the covenant was a solid gold slab shielding the holiness of God from the priest. And that solid gold slab was called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, was called halastrion. So we're kind of piecing this together now. The mercy seat, or halastrion, was a place of atonement, propitiation, the place where the wrath of God was appeased. And if the high priest came in and he brought the blood of a sacrifice, and if that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which should be our blood, because the wages of sin is death, then the high priest could talk with God. Because the sins were atoned for for a year, and then God would bless the people for that year. And this was what the tax collector was asking for. He doesn't want to break. He, just, he doesn't say, just give me some compassion, God. He wants atonement for his sin. The tax collector has come to know and to understand that I hope something that you know and understand. This is the gospel of God. When the fog of our own self-righteousness, our own pride, lifts and we see who we really are before God. We realize there is a God who loves us and created us, and we owe everything to him. He should be first in all of our lives. Our cup is overflowing because of him. And how, how foolish we would think to ourselves that we built a business, that we made a life, that we own and possess all these things, and all of us should cry out to, like that tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The only other place that this word is used in the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Read, read this. It, it says, For this reason Jesus had to be made like them, fully human and in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement, or halastrion, for the sins of the people. Get this. Jesus emptied himself for us. He paid the price for my sin and for your sin. And when the tax collector, when he cries out, God have mercy on me, a sinner, he's asking not for a break. The tax collector is asking for the complete generosity of God. And when you experience the generosity of Jesus, you'll be transformed from the inside out. When you receive his generosity, you become generous. I've been praying over the last few months that Nova would be a movement of people who know the complete generosity of Jesus and that we grow as a people to be completely generous with all that God has entrusted us with. All that God has entrusted us with personally, 
and all that God has entrusted to us as a church family. Let's pray together. Dear Father, how thankful we are that you have brought your gospel to us this morning. We give you thanks for, for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I, I, I realize that in this size crowd, in this group of people, that there are those who have heard this message, this understanding, perhaps for the first time. Father, I know that there are people who have sat here for weeks and maybe even years who right now you're just speaking into their heart. And Father, I'm, I'm thankful that you're doing that through your Holy Spirit. And right now, if you really sense that God is speaking to your heart, and if you are sitting here right now and you're sensing that you need to make a step, you need to take a step towards God, this is your day. In the beginning of 2017, what a great way to start this year. And so if you want to make a step towards Jesus Christ, this morning, would you just in your heart just say, yes, God, as you sense him tugging on your heart? Would you just say, just in the quietness of where you're at, would you just say, yes, God? Thank you, Father, for how you speak to us through your word, how you use other people, how you speak to us with your Holy Spirit deep in the deep parts of who we are in our hearts. We give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. This is all for you. How thankful we are to just be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.